over time, over the course of my life, I've put together a lot of build-it-yourself furniture. You know, the kind that comes in a flat pack, and then you take all the pieces out, and you put it together. And sometimes I would do multiples of the same thing, most usually bookshelves. You build one, then you build another, then you build another. Uh, What I've found is that when I do it for the first time, I almost always encounter some kind of difficulty, even if I'm following the instructions well, that the next time I benefit from that experience because I've already seen it before, I recognize the patterns, I anticipate the problems, and I'm able to do it better the next time around. Today, as we look at this section in depth of the gospel of Mark, you're going to see this pattern of recognition. Part of what we've been trying to do is allow ourselves to hear the message of the gospel of Mark and the teaching of Jesus and experience that as his first followers and his first audience would have done. So this is going to help us because we are going to see the background to a lot of these experiences and scriptures and be able to recognize that pattern. Now, why is that important? Because there are almost always things coming up in our lives where we would like to know what Jesus thinks about this and how God wants to lead us. And if we know his word and we can recognize the patterns, then we can avoid problems, and follow more closely in his steps. Because following Jesus makes life better and makes us better at life. So the more that we recognize that pattern and can follow in his footsteps, the better off we're going to be, and we'll be able to recognize those patterns. So you'll be able to see this in this little chart that we've been looking at over the past couple of weeks that is a historical, theological kind of representation of God's plan and the history of the world. And you'll see, you'll recognize repeating patterns that God intervenes, people fail, God intervenes again, people fail, and then you recognize all these different interventions because they have certain similarities and you can recognize what Jesus did and what his plan is because he reveals it and he works according, God works according to a pattern. This will make sense as we look at this passage because there's so much that refers back to that recognizes the pattern of God's working in the beginning of the gospel of Mark. Here's how Jesus introduced his ministry. The time promised by God has come at last. The kingdom of God is near. So already in that, you can see that he's saying, look, this is, this is part of what you should expect because God has been making these promises and you should recognize that this is that time by looking back at and comparing it to those promises. And we want to be able to recognize them. Let's look back at uh, this passage from the Old Testament scriptures, Isaiah chapter 43, a verse and a half from that chapter. He says, God is speaking here. See, I am doing a new thing. In other words, I'm at work and I'm about to do something new. 
Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? In other words, he's saying, look, I'm doing this new thing and I want you to recognize it. Can't you recognize, can't you see what I'm doing? He goes on to say, I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. This is Hebrew poetry. Again, there's this pattern of parallelism. He's saying, I'm making a way in the wilderness. That's, pa- that's paralleled with streams in the wasteland. He is doing new things. He's constantly at work, and it's his desire and design that we recognize it. So today, we're going to be talking about discernment. How do you discern and recognize the patterns of God at work? And what we're saying is that we will know his word. When we know his word, we'll recognize his work. When we know his word, we will be able to recognize his work. And so my challenge to you, to me, is that we would become good students, that we would become dedicated students, that we would be discerning observers of the way that God works through his word. And let's look at it together, because in these first couple of verses of Mark chapter 1, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 12, we are going to see so many clues, so many insights, so many patterns, that it should be like flashing neon signs to say, God is at work, God is doing a new thing, and for us to be able to recognize what God is doing. So, let's look at it together. This is the beginning of the Gospel of Mark verses 1 through 12 of chapter 1. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. This is the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. It began just as the prophet Isaiah had written, Look, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way. He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. This messenger was John the Baptist, He was in the wilderness and preached that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. All of Judea, including all the people of Jerusalem, went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. His clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. For food, he ate locust and wild honey. John announced, Someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to stoop down like a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. One day, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and John baptized him in the Jordan River. As Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting apart and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, You are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. The Spirit then compelled Jesus to go into the wilderness where he was tempted by Satan for 40 days. He was out among the wild animals and angels took care of him. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for your word. And I pray that as we look at it, that we would be discerning, that you would give us insight, that we would recognize how you want to let us in on what you're doing. 
and that you would get us excited about being a student of your word and your ways so that we can accurately and regularly apply the truth of your word to the situations and circumstances that we face in our daily lives because we want to be used by you. We want to be able to teach, heal, and and pray and interact with you and interact with our world and be included in your setting things right. I pray that you would give insight to everyone who's listening and watching. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so let's look at it together. Again, we are saying that we will know when we know his word, we'll recognize his work. What are we talking about with his word? We're talking about the scriptures, the, 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 the record of God's interaction with humanity throughout history. And we see that Jesus uh, picked up on this pattern of recognizing and teaching God's word. This was his pattern, Mark one twenty one. we looked at last week. When the Sabbath day came, he went into the synagogue and began to teach. And then we also looked at the parallel passage, the early church, they did the same thing. Acts 2.42, which describes the practice, the actions of the early church, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. So, when we know his word and we see Jesus teaching, we see Jesus opening God's word, explaining God's word, teaching God's word, and then we see the early church doing the same thing, and we, are, we see ourselves, we see the church today doing the same thing. That's why we are a biblically-based church, because when we know his word, we'll recognize his work. We want to be discerning. So the gospel begins with this proclamation that the, this is the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the son of God. And then immediately after that, you may have noticed it introduces this passage from the Hebrew Bible, a prophecy that explains what was going on. It's from, uh, starts out with Malachi chapter three, look, I am sending my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. It's giving context to saying, look, you know, as you read God's word, you're going to see this is what was expected. This was what was planned. And now when John the Baptist comes on the scene, you'll recognize him for who he is. That's what was going on there. And, but notice what it says in, in this verse. Uh, this is the part that's quoted. I'm sending my messenger who will prepare the way for me. And then it says, then the Lord you are seeking will suddenly come to his temple. Now, this is interesting because it's saying, okay, I'm going to send this person. He's going to prepare the way. God's about to set things right. And he himself, God himself is going to come down and he is going to set things right. Right. He's going to suddenly come into his temple. He's going to show up on the scene. Now, if we know this, if we're recognizing this, if we're familiar with this, like the early readers and hearers of this gospel would have been, then we're going to recognize okay, when this person comes on the scene, God shows up next. And here you have this person showing up on the scene in the person of John the Baptist, and then Jesus shows up next, and we're supposed to draw the inference. 
God is being prepared for. God is showing up in the person of Jesus. Now that is this passage is introduced by saying Isaiah the prophet. And granted, we started in Malachi, but it's setting up this prophecy, this quote from the book of Isaiah. It's from Isaiah chapter 40, and this is how it starts out. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Tell her that her sad days are gone and her sins are pardoned. In other words, okay, whatever's going to happen next, it's going to uh, be the end of those sad days. It's going to be the time where sins are pardoned. And then what does it say in the next verse? It's the verse that's quoted in the introduction to Mark. Listen, it's the voice of someone shouting, clear the way through the wilderness for the Lord. Make a straight highway through the wasteland for our God. Here is the, another parallelism that's very close to that first one where God was talking about doing a new thing. Well, clear the way in the wilderness and make a highway in the wasteland. And so here the uh, John the Baptist, he shows up in the wilderness and he identifies with this passage saying, this is me, this is, this is my role, this is what I'm doing. What is described later in that passage? Yes, the sovereign Lord is coming in power. He will rule with a powerful arm. In other words, this preparation happens, this voice is crying out, and then what happens next? The sovereign Lord shows up. It's the same pattern over again. John the Baptist says, I'm that voice calling out, making a way in the wilderness, and then Jesus shows up in the place of the sovereign Lord. It's identifying Jesus as the Christ and the Son of God, just as the introduction to the book of, of Mark tells us. But notice also what's next. I love this. Here it's talking about his sovereignty and his power and his strength. But then in the next verse, it talks about his gentleness. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will carry the lambs in his arms, holding them close to his heart. Jesus would describe himself as the good shepherd. And we see the gentleness and the power of God combined in him. And the way that we recognize that is by knowing the context, by seeing this in this pattern established. And it just clearly points out that when we know his word, we will recognize his work. Notice the way that he shows up, the pattern that is established. When we encounter that when we want to know how to handle a particular situation, knowing his word, knowing what Jesus is like and how God has managed the situation is going to give us insight into what we should do as well. Now, in this next passage, it is so jammed packed with all of these references that are supposed to give context and just makes it like a flashing neon sign to the earliest hearers and readers, and even the people who were there to experience this event. And we'll fast forward to the next scene, which is Jesus' baptism. This is the way it's described in Mark chapter 1, verse 10. As Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting apart and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. 
for those that were watching, for those that were reading, they would have had this context because they would have known God's word. Well, this idea of the heavens splitting apart, what does that mean? Well, that's very clearly in context. You see this over and over again. When God is intervening, when God is going to speak, when heaven opens up and God reveals something. Here's an example, a good example from Isaiah chapter 64. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. This is the the longing on the prophet's uh, part for God to intervene. And how is that described? Well, it's heaven, the heavens are torn open and God comes down out of heaven. So here in this experience, the heavens are split apart, just like it's been described in God's word over and over again. Now, a voice comes from heaven. Where have we seen that before? Well, here's an example. The most prominent example is in Moses' experience. In Deuteronomy 4.36, it says, describing that experience when God showed up on the mountain and the people heard his voice, he let you hear his voice from heaven so he could instruct you. So, here, most predominantly, you have this experience of Moses where God reveals himself to the people by a voice from heaven. Then Jesus shows up and his identity is confirmed by the heavens splitting open and God sending his voice from heaven. And what did Moses say to expect? This is Deuteronomy 18.15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. Someone who is able to speak to God on your behalf and to be able to communicate God's word to you. A prophet like me from among you, from among your fellow Israelites, you must listen to him. So the people were expecting over time, there's going to be a prophet like Moses that's going to to bring God's voice to us, that the heavens are going to open and we're going to hear God's voice. And then what Jesus hears from heaven, experienced by the people that were watching, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Well, that again would have just set off light bulbs for everyone that was hearing that because these are direct references to other parts of the scripture. In Psalm 2, it says, God speaking again, I've placed my chosen king on the throne in Jerusalem. The king proclaims the Lord's decree. In other words, this is what I heard from the Lord. The Lord said to me, you are my son. So here we go from Moses to David. King David says there's going to be a time where where God is going to anoint a son to rule in his place. He's going to be a king like King David. So now we're identifying with Moses and the prophet like Moses. Now we're identifying with the promise of a king in the line of David. And then the last phrase, in whom I am well pleased, harkens back to the suffering servant of Isaiah 42. Here's what it says. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. This is 
the, just parallel wording to that. It's supposed to remind, okay, the prophet like Moses that you're supposed to listen to, the king in the line of David that is the anointed one, the Messiah that is going to rule, is also this chosen one, this servant, a suffering servant who lays down his life, who is mistreated, but it's all in God's plan. This is the one in whom I delight. So tightly packed in that one, you know, one or two verse experience are all these references that should tell us exactly who Jesus is, what his role is, helping people to identify him. This goes on to say, what's this going to look like? I'll put my spirit on him, this suffering servant that is the one in whom I delight. I'm going to put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. And what happens, of course, in the baptism of Jesus, the spirit descends and it's the beginning of taking the gospel to the world. We recognize all of this by knowing God's word. When we know God's word, we'll recognize his work. And just one other little part about the, the, um, the experience of the baptism. There's an interesting inclusion that Mark makes in describing it. It says, as Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting apart and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. Now, where does this idea of like a dove come from, representing the Holy Spirit? Well, it just so happens that at the beginning of the scriptures, beginning of the Hebrew Bible, beginning of our Bible, Genesis chapter one, it starts out talking about creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. How is it described? Verse two, the earth was formless and empty and darkness covered the deep waters and the spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. So we here we have at the beginning of creation, the chaos of the waters and God is going to intervene in creation. He is going to make things happen and bring order and set things right in this world that he has created in the creation process. What was it like before? There was formlessness, the emptiness, darkness, deepness. But the Spirit of God was there. God was there. God's Spirit was there. And He was going to speak His Word to form this creation, to give order, to bring about order. And it says that the Spirit was hovering over the surface of the waters. The original word has this idea of kind of fluttering and flittering. And so when some ancient rabbis were translating that into Aramaic, the language that Jesus spoke, they translated it and added this kind of explanatory note so that people would get the right picture of what this looked like, this flittering and fluttering. And so they said that the Spirit of God was hovering like a dove over the surface of the waters. And then when Jesus is baptized, the Holy Spirit descends and the picture is that of a dove. In creation, the beginning of putting order to creation, God the Father was there. 
God's Holy Spirit was there and he spoke his word to bring order to creation. Now, at the beginning of redemption, God the Father is there. He is speaking from heaven, announcing and and revealing who Jesus is to the world. The Holy Spirit is there descending like a dove, and God speaks his word to the one who is described as the word of God. In creation, you have Father, you have the word of God, you have the spirit of God. At the beginning of redemption, you have God the Father, you have God's spirit, and you have the word of God, the son of God, Jesus Christ. So here is my invitation to you. Now that we've recognized this pattern, there are some of us that probably need to say yes to Jesus for the first time. We need that creative spirit, that order bringing spirit to come into our lives, to set things right. Just like we talked about last week, Jesus came to set things right and he begins in us. Has there ever been a time where you've just turned the management, the direction of your life over to Jesus, to commit your life to Jesus, to say yes to him? What are you saying yes to? You're saying yes to his lordship. You're saying, Lord, I want you to direct my life. I want you to be the creative force and directing and leading and guiding me. I'm going to follow you. You're going to be the Lord. You're going to call the shots. Have you committed your life to him? And then along with that, you get the benefits of the mission of Jesus, that when he went to the cross and died on the cross for our sins, that that's going to count for you. You're saying, yes, I want what you did on the cross to count for me. I need my past forgiven and my future rewritten. Will you do that for me? And when you say yes to Jesus, he commits himself to do that for you. We see in all of these patterns that God was beginning to do a new thing. And he wanted us to recognize it. He wanted us to understand it. He wants us to be able to receive it. And that's what I'm challenging to you to do. We all need to know his word. Because when we know his word, we will recognize his work. So my challenge to you is, I want you to be able to read the scriptures. I want you to be able to hear God's voice. I want you to be able to recognize his work around us. And in order to do that and to know the direction that you need, you need to become a student of God's word. So I put together some different resources, some different ways that that can happen. Go to cornerstonenh.org slash learn, and you'll see some of those. But take some step in learning and recognizing God's word, his pattern, his ways, so that we can follow him more closely, experience the good things that he has for us, become a student of his ways, and experience his work in your life. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us to become good students, to give us the insight and discernment that we need to recognize your ways in what we're doing and the situations that we face. Lord, I want to pray particularly for people right now who are facing a challenging situation, a difficult circumstance, 
perhaps a relationship that is difficult to navigate. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would show them by your spirit, by your word, exactly what they need to know so that they'll know exactly what they need to do and how to manage that, that we would hear from you, that we would follow you closely. Lord, I pray that you would speak to every person so they would know exactly what you're saying to them through this message today. And then give us the faith and courage that we need to act on it, to respond appropriately, to do as you direct. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen.